Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike, and we're going to dive right in the episode this week. So we've got John Easley on the show, and John was a great guest. I had a lot of fun talking with John. He's been in central Ohio his entire life and worked for a while at a very large accounting firm, one of the uh, the big four, so to speak. And, uh, you know, he got a chance to see the VC world, working with Patel for a little bit as part of his role there at KPMG, and uh, then got involved working with entrepreneurs. So today he spends a lot of time working with entrepreneurs, business owners, people in the Midwest who uh, are working through complex financial situations. So things like, hey, uh, my kids are growing up, I'm trying to hand off this business, but the kids really want to take it, or mergers, acquisitions. And, uh, you know, he really knows the type of people he wants to work with, and I I really respect that about a team and, and a group of people, you know. I think you'll see what I mean as you listen to the episode. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We enjoyed talking with John and we'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, a little uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24 Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. We are here at uh, the industrious office space with a nice view downtown again, and uh, it's exciting. It's uh, She's looking today. good today. Yeah, she is. She is. And as you can tell, we've got Tim and Josh in the booth today. Guys, what's going on? Not much, man. Looking at this whiskey war bottle of Tim's, I think uh, since High Bank has sponsored us and we'd love to support them, maybe a shameless plug in the beginning. Didn't they just win like some Dude, best best whiskey in the U.S. best sipping whiskey in the U.S.? They won best blended whiskey, which is a double gold. I don't understand why we don't just make gold the, the best. We got to like double double it. gold. But it is the comparable to what Tito's won when mm-hmm. they took off. They won the best vodka. So they won the same award, but on the blended whiskey. So they could be on a, a rocket ship now. That's pretty impressive. And uh, we got a bottle of whiskey war right here. Maybe we should start drinking. Go for it. But uh, well, we're glad. We're glad to have given them their launch. Yeah, it was all. It right. was all us. Adam knows. Columbus, Adam knows Colleen it was Zebus, all us. Combined yeah. effort. So you know, we'll uh, we'll take some credit there. But uh, today on the show, uh, we might as well let's introduce our guest at some point, right? So today on the show, we've got John Easley joining us, and John currently serves as senior partner at Windsor Advisory Group, a privately owned fee only advisor group, and they focus on solving complex problems for their clients. And in particular, they work with many business owners and families in and around Columbus on big issues such as financial planning and succession planning. And prior to Windsor, John spent time as a partner at KPMG, one of the big four accounting firms. Uh, We're excited to talk to John about his story and everything Windsor is going on today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, John. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for stopping by and joining us up here on a uh, Tuesday evening. Appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Uh, one of the first places we always like to start, John, is just a little bit of background on yourself and your story. I mean, really, some people go as far back as, hey, 
have you always lived in Columbus? Yeah, it's easy. You know, born and raised in Central Ohio, been here my entire life. I tell people, put your finger on, on a map of Central Ohio, my whole life is under your finger. Um, go to Grocery High School, graduate, go to High State, stay right here with uh, what became a 27-year career with KPMG, transitioned to what I do today, and now here with Windsor. So traveled a lot, been a lot of places, but this has kind of always been home. Was that intentional, or did it just kind of work out that way? Well, a little bit of both. Part of it was early on, couldn't afford. I mean, you know, why'd you go to High State? I'm like, because I'm paying my way through school, and it was cheap. I could stay home and pay yeah. for school and still work. So that, that was... That took all of about 30 seconds to figure that out. And then get a job, uh, married my high school sweetheart, so she's here, so family was here, and it just, I explored a little bit, you know, get graduating, do I go to Chicago? I saw, I, I looked, we made a couple trips, like, no, this is good. And um, just kept going from there. You know, I, I've told people over the years, Columbus is one of the last places you'd ever want to come to, and it's one of the last you ever want to leave. What's interesting is, you know, when I started, uh, 40 plus years ago, most people I met professionally, socially, whatever, grew up here like me. And somewhere 20, 30 years ago, it started changing. And today I'm the odd duck. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, you've been here your whole life? Like mm. nobody has. Yeah. It's a lot uh, of transplants. Oh, amazing. It's Which starting is, to move out too from Columbus. There's other cities. You know, Columbus became the big city. It wasn't for a long time. And now people from Mansfield and Dayton and all, and you know, all those in between the three cities are moving to Columbus and uh, it's moving to the city. You yeah. probably didn't know this, but Mike's from San Diego. You have no idea. Like, I don't, I don't know how to work in Southern California, like Newport Beach and first time, but how do those people work 12 and 14 like uh, yeah. most of us? A little, like, little distracting. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. It is beautiful. It is. Well, they work because of how much it costs them there. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they won't yeah. be there. Uh, you know, you could always be homeless. It's not a bad place to be homeless. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That'd right. be on the short list. Accounting, is that right? Yeah, you know, people like whining. I was always good at math and, you know, growing up. So I was like, oh, I guess you should do accounting. I'm like, oh, gave that about five seconds of thought. Do accounting. Do really well. Like, oh, I should go into public account. Oh, okay. That sounds like the way to go. And uh, back then there were eight big firms and you interview with all of them and do all that recruiting because now they're after really was prepared for, uh, but evaluating the firms. I mean, there's kind of offers and uh, added incentives. And um, I picked Pete Mark really because of the people. And in hindsight, it was a great decision on my part because they were great people. And, you know, most students go there thinking, yeah, I'll do this for a couple of years. I'll get my CPA and then I'll go do something else. And I was an odd duck again in that I was there for 27 years. You know, most of my peers were there two to five years and gone. And uh, I ended up being there that long. It's a tremendous amount of time in one company. So as you, as you reflect back on that, there's probably no way to wrap up 27 years into one podcast. But what sticks out about the highs and lows and, and what kept you moving into that organization and not wanting to walk away? The best part was because it really wasn't that the business was serving clients and the enjoyment was understanding those clients and helping them. So I've never my whole adult life been a go to the office person. I'm a go to the clients. So I had incredible variety where I went, who I was working with. So I got exposure to all kinds of companies, all kinds of people all the time. And in hindsight, that was great because I just embraced both the personal relationships that I got to do, as well as the technical challenge and breadth of what I was doing. And it just kept growing both kind of with the clients and the marketplace, but also I'm fortunate the firm must have saw some things. So they kept promoting me 
and giving me not only added professional, but some internal responsibilities. So it's like, all right, easily, you're pretty good. We're going to let you lead our recruiting. So, you know, after you work 12 hours, now drive to Miami University and go talk to accounting students and get the young and the best and the brightest to come to come join our firm or go to Ohio State or go here. And, oh, by the way, easily, you're pretty good. And uh, you're going to be a national instructor and then you get evaluated. It's like, oh, I guess you are pretty good. So now you're going to teach again and now you're going to teach for two weeks. So I'm traveling around the country teaching newer folks to the firm and then that progressed to the more experienced people. In fact, there's a, a great story. The firm KPMG comes from Kleinfeld, Pete Marwick Gordler and the firm Pete Mark Mitchell merged with this firm and the U.S. firm was called Maine Herdman. So we merge and there's these main Herdman partners that need to be trained on the kind of Pete Marwick way. Well, here I am, uh, like an eight-year, I'm a manager, I'm not even a partner, and I'm teaching folks that have been doing what they've been doing for 30 years, and I'm trying to teach them the other way to do it. That was kind of a unique experience, but all part of the variety that the firm gave me. And, you know, the punchline, after 27 years, I said the firm allowed me to do anything you could ever do without relocating out of Central Ohio. And the last probably seven years, I was getting more and more phone calls of, hey, we want you to go run Atlanta office. We want you to run LA office. We want you to come to the national office and take this role. And I just kept saying, no. Um, I'd kind of learned and evaluated a lot of people that I liked and admired and just said, look, there's gotta be a balance to life between both the professional and the personal. And so my wife, we had two boys, they were right in that teenage high school period. And so I was trying to balance. So my career at the firm could have gone farther, I think, had I relocated. But I just kept saying, look, guys, I'll do anything you want. I'll travel. I was bouncing all over the place. But I want to keep this as home base. And I did. So do you continue to go down the, the coaching route and mentorship route inside of the organization? Do you evolve into different roles? You know, because you're always hiring new people every year, there's always a coaching, always a development. You know, in, in professional service, your, your assets are your people. And if you have good people and you invest in them, the return is how productive they can become. And honestly, that's how you make money. So the better you invest, coach, develop, train, whatever you want to call all those things in those assets, then ultimately that creates better business. You know, I, I say, look, this is a talent game. Best talent wins. There, there's no magic here. It isn't about the desk. It isn't about the computers. It isn't about any of that stuff. At the end of the day, my whole adult life and professional services, one, one form or another, it's, I think it's all about the people. So the coaching, the development, I, I think it's core. I tell people today, look, I'm only worried about two things. I'm worried, number one, about our clients, both current perspective, and I'm worried about our people. If I'm not working on those two things, I'm not doing it. So my partners kind of know to deal with other things, that those are the two things that just motivate me, and that's the right place for me to be spending my time. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So when you wrap up at KPMG? 2004. So a couple of things in the career maybe to 
to share, again, about the firm allowing me to do a lot of different things. So in 1993, Goldman Sachs had this white paper called Communicopia. And the whole thing was how internet and technology were going to bring together historical industries and we were going to be communicating and connected in a way that we've never have been before. So historical things like newspaper, broadcasting would change because of the internet, technology, et cetera. So the cool thing was the firm said, all right, we need a handful of people in the firm to really understand that. And as you can imagine, you know, Silicon Valley was hot in that area, but they picked six of us to kind of evaluate this. And one of them happened to be John Easley out of Columbus, Ohio. And I caught a lot of guess I can't say shit, but I caught <laughs> sure a lot. Okay. Yeah, it's true. It's podcast. So I got a lot of shit within the firm about what's in Columbus. Like, who are you? And I can give some stories around that, but all of a sudden now I'm connected to others in the country that are dealing with the same developments. And I'm going to Silicon Valley once a month, just learning like, all right, what's going on in that world. And then the other thing that started happening right away within the firm is if there was something tech related, especially software within the whole Midwest, they're like, well, call easily. So all of a sudden I'm in Detroit, all of a sudden I'm in Pittsburgh. So now I'm seeing things that are developing in other areas. Some of them very mature businesses, like the big three trying to create an online marketplace for their supplier. And I, I remember going to GM headquarters and I'm like, this isn't gonna work. And they're all like, we've spent millions on this. Why won't it work? And I said, this is why it won't work. And guess what? It didn't work, but it allowed me to see things. And then I'm back here headquartered, if you will, in central Ohio. But in 1999, I took a deep breath. I had 63 startup companies I was working with. I'm connected with venture firms every week. I'm looking at business plans all the time. I'm coaching people at all different stages. And that was a culmination of that. So again, that was part of the variety that got me exposed to a lot of different things and it just kind of helped evolve kind of where my career went. What eventually made you decide, you know, hey, maybe it's time for a change? So in 2002, uh, the public accounting world kind of changed because Arthur Anderson went away. Now there's four firms. The firms are all now very concerned. There's this thing called the Public Accounting Oversight Board or PCAOB. And really I told people our relationship, in my opinion, changed from being advisory with our clients to almost adversarial. The analogy I gave people was, it'd be like being a highway patrolman you're pulled over on the side of the road and you got a flat tire. Well, my career was, I'm going to help you fix the flat tire and get you back out on the road. With that change, now I pull over, I give you a ticket and I leave. I let you fix the flat tire. It just didn't resonate with me of helping people. And the other thing that happened was it really pushed the big four firms into really bigger, more public companies. So my experience with smaller, especially startups, entrepreneurs, privately owned companies, it just wasn't a fit for the firm anymore. So 03 and 04 were my less enjoyable years. And it just literally one day I woke up. I, t I tell people, look, there were a hundred things that happened probably collectively and whatever the 99th one, it just clicked. And I said, up oh, time for me to go do something else. So you wrap up, did you already have it planned out where you were going to take your next step or you just, you know, kind of taking it very serendipitously? Did not have it planned out at all. In fact, you know, the firm said, look, stay here till you figure out what you're doing. I'm like, look, I can't wear two hats at once. I'm fully committed to the firm. I can't be in front of a client one minute representing the firm and then trying to have lunch with them later and saying, oh yeah, I'm trying to figure out my next career. So we put a stake in the ground and said, okay, you know, get to basically at the end of 2004, and then when I woke up on January 1 of 2005, I'm like, okay, 
my next thing is to figure out what I'm going to do next. And, you know, I was so committed to that career and firm. I just, in hindsight, it was the right thing to say, now my job is to get up every day and just take a deep breath, re-explore the world. I said, I will listen and talk to anything. So I go to high state and they talk to me about, you know, being in education. I'm like, I can't do this. There's a big community organization that you all very well know. And it was like, maybe come run this. And I'm like, I can't do this. And I literally just kept bouncing and learning, et cetera. And finally, a, a good friend and mentor. I mean, the short story is somebody else was trying to recruit me for something. And when I mentioned to him what it was, he's like, you should work with the same people you've always worked with. You've been great with business owners. You're great technically, but you, you can bring that in relating to individuals and just work with them. And he used the word wealth management. I'm like, I'm not doing wealth management. They're all a bunch of used car salesmen. I'll probably get in trouble for saying that. Hmm. And, um, but he was right in that, you know, I work, you know, as you said in the intro, with people with complex financial lives often, a business is part of the complexity that makes that up. And I'm fortunate my first career, I dealt with business. So now all of a sudden I can, I can look at an individual and say, look, your biggest asset over here, I understand it pretty well. And oh, by the way, all the other financial things, the legal, the tax, all that technical stuff, I'm totally comfortable with. Now I will tell you today, I tell folks, I said, look, because I'm dealing with people, money, their families, often their business, half of what I do is is really though the emotion, the goals, how those things intersect, bringing those both together is, is kind of the art of what we do. I joke, I say, look, people come to sit at my desk, but they end up laying on my couch. Cause you gotta get into what's this really for? You guys might think that, you know, if there's some number that when you get to that number, a bell rings and you're good. So I've got 50 million, I'm good, the bell rings. And I'm, I'm telling you, that isn't the case. And ultimately it's solving, if you've been fortunate to be incredibly, what we would all consider to be successful, the ultimate success is how's that really meaningful to you personally, your family and your community. Solving that takes more than just math. It really takes getting into who you are and, and meaningful is how you define it. Hey everybody, Mike here. We're gonna take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Revolution Group. And Revolution Group, big friend of the show. We've talked about them in the past and they were on the show a while back. Really appreciative of them. We're gonna to talk today about their managed IT services. They have complete technology management of your business with remote and on-site IT support for everything from email to Wi-Fi to help set up your employees' new iPhone. I know a lot of teams struggle with this. We struggle with this. We sometimes say at our company, hey, who's IT around here? If you need somebody to help support your team with those types of small issues, as well as the big issues like cybersecurity consulting to keep you and your data safe, as well as you know having a virtual chief information officer for your business to coordinate the strategy behind your technology decisions, they can really help take care of that. And their core business is really taking care of your technology and allowing you to focus on your core business. And that's Revolution Group. If you want to learn more about them, go check out their website, revolutiongroup.com. That's revolutiongroup.com and tell them Concrete Columbus sent you. So maybe even take a step back from that and just talk about, you know, Windsor Advisory Group. What is it? What do you do? And then how did you come about, you know, taking those first steps within the team? Well, I kind of said what we are. I mean, we're an organization. We're really, you could call us financial consultants. Certainly we're in this wealth management field, but I think what we do is pretty unique, not just locally, but really around the country. My partner, Trey Dye and I, I, I would put the two of us against anybody in the country to figure out and sort out the most 
financially complex situation for an individual and family. And I, I think Trey and I can probably do it as good as anybody because of our background. But again, that's our focus as a firm is to be that consultant, that solution that sometimes we even call, uh, say, we want to be your first call on anything financially. And when you deal with people, their money, their business, their family, those calls can take us down a lot of paths. Paths that honestly, I can't predict. I helped two clients with their daughter's prenup because I understood the finances. I'm really good at managing other professionals, lawyers, accountants, et cetera. And I'm not emotional about that discussion. So I can just have a matter of fact discussion and strike the right balance of what was best in that circumstance for them. And if you would have asked me a year before that, yeah, you're going to work on a pre, I'm like, no way. I can't see that happening, but it did. So we find ourselves in, in areas you would think, and we find ourselves in areas that, again, even I'm surprised by. But at the end of the day, we want to help be a source of solution for folks. I always say at the end of the day, we're going to organize and analyze your entire financial makeup, and then we're going to help you clarify what your goals are and help you get there. I think what you touched on, too, is really important, figuring out what's a win for you financially. Like some people might want $50 million, but like why? What, what's, right. the, what's the purpose? Uh, and uh, I think as I've gotten older, figuring out why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, because you're just like, I do everything. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, why, why do I do that? You know, what are you trying? You know, people are like, I want to work for myself. I'm like, well, do you really, you know, mm -hmm. you know, do you, it, it's just the, the idea of it is better than, so I think getting to that is, I think that's something super important. I think a lot of people just approach it with, all right, how much do you make? What can we do or whatever, but figuring out, you know, do you just want a, a sailboat and enough money a year to, to, to live? Or do you know, do you want to buy the, the Mets or, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So I think, right. I think that's a really good approach. And I think that I don't, I haven't experienced that a lot. How do you, how do you work with someone to find that? Why? I mean, I'm guessing a lot of them might come to you and say, Hey, I, yeah, I've got all this money, but I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> well, it's, well, a couple of things. One, I, I actually study happiness, mm -hmm. you know, what, what makes happiness and joy and, to me, a better word is fulfilling. Fulfillment, yeah. Yeah. And um, so, A, I study it. B, I, again, I've been around people very, again, what most folks would think are, quote, successful. But mm -hmm. are they fulfilled? Are they happy? Do they have joy in their life? So a lot of it's experience, a lot of it's studying. And then ultimately, it's kind of challenging and peeling at it, et cetera. I actually think some key things are, number one, health. I think health is physical, mental, and spiritual. I think number two is relationships. I think number three is purpose. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I tell people, I go, you want to know where grumpy old men come from? They're like, no, where? And I'm like, well, most likely they had a very successful career, but now their health is starting to waver. Their relationships were probably 80% career, and now they've retired or sold their business, and now it's their golfing buddies. And their purpose was, again, career and maybe fatherhood and They've retired, sold their business, and their kids are now adults, and they don't have much to make their feet hit the floor in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I've read, I've seen, a lot of it is just challenging. The really cool is when I can help somebody find that passion about helping community or helping others. But generationally, you know, the fact that you're more attuned to fulfilled because I think older generation was get up, work hard, and then that's it. They, we were never brought up to be that thoughtful. Mm -hmm. So I have some folks that are, you know, 15 years older than me, and 
they just can't find it. It's really, really hard. And part of it's because they, they just never were brought up that way. Mm-hmm. So it's good that you guys are younger and, you know, that's kind of the reputation. Your generation gets this better than certainly mine did and the one before me. Yeah, I think, you know, our, the people that we talk to a lot in our generation, like it, we just, you have those conversations a lot more often than you would think, right? About why, what are we doing? And like, especially as, you know, I'm, we're trying to grow at FMX right now and recruiting a lot of people. And in the past, historically, right, the reason behind why the business is there and the benefits you have for your customers, like the reason, like, especially with salespeople, right? Salespeople have this, you know, historical kind of concept or perspective of like, oh, they're just in it for the money. But that's just frankly not the case anymore with salespeople. The best salespeople that we talk with, right, they're here to help the customer first and then make the money. And it's the fulfillment they get out of helping people and, and seeing that project succeed that, that drives a lot of salespeople that I, at least that I want on my team uh, nowadays. But, you know, that's, it's kind of an interesting shift that we're seeing across the, across the market. But that's my career, by the way. Right. I mean, there's no doubt what's most enjoyable for me is when I've helped people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've helped people and they didn't even know it. Now, maybe they'll figure it out later, or maybe I help them by avoiding them to do something that would have been hurtful. But boy, when you do that right, it's incredibly rewarding and fulfilling. Absolutely. get it. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. Let's go back and kind of look at the timeline here. So you leave in 2000, 2004, 2005, yep. you step off and you're, hey, I don't know where I'm going. When does Windsor come into the picture? And then how have things changed since then? Yeah. So the transition for me was in September of 05. I started with a firm called Bernstein, which again, this, this mentor and friend had introduced me to and New York-based firm that is more traditional private wealth, but unique from maybe the other firms you might say, because lawyers, accountants, actuary, very analytical, and their environment was what I recalled in kind of the heydays of public accounting, which is just a lot of smart people working really hard, not glamorous, salesy ways, just roll up your sleeves and get it done. So in hindsight, it was great for me because when they hired me, they're like, all right, you're moving to New York for 13 weeks. That was kind of cool. And there was training, but now I'm in headquarters. So I'm, I'm there from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. There was structured time, but before and after I'm meeting, you know, leaders and smart people. And I'm just, I'm bringing it all in as best I could. And that really launched me out and gave me this big firm to kind of support me. If you think about that, then that means I'm kind of getting out on my own in 06, 07. I'm like, all right, I'm starting to get my legs under me. And then financial crisis of 08 happens. So now it's just hang on, survive. Like what the heck is going on? Finally, by 2009, certainly by 2010, kind of getting some momentum going again and developing some really unique relationships with business owners that... Bernstein appreciated and gave me a lot of opportunities to deal with, but didn't fit their model because the traditional wealth management industry is you get paid off of assets. So the more assets or investments a client gives you, the more you make. And I had some that I was helping and didn't have assets to give or their assets were tied up somewhere else, but they still wanted my advice and consultation and, and thoughtfulness and analysis. And that was growing. That's clearly what I wanted to do. But I even had some clients go, 
you're not at the right firm if that's the only way you could get paid. And a good friend and attorney in town said, John, you're, what you do is great, but you're not at the right firm. So I talked to Bernstein about it. They, they gave me some cool rules, which one of them was, we're going to partner up with two other kind of senior people, and you're going to deal with these big, wealthy families who have a family office and really go in and talk to their accountants and lawyers. And, and now you're dealing with hundreds of millions and even billions. Well, that was a great experience to go see. I said, look, guys, I don't want to be flying around the country. I really want to be in Central Ohio. I traveled so much for KPMG, I always joke, like, I don't want to leave 270 if I don't have to. I've, mm. I've done all the traveling I want to do. So that's great, and I get it, but no. And so we openly talked, and they said, look, you can keep doing this, and we'll figure out a way to do it. And I said, that'd be you shouldn't do it as a business. You shouldn't have a one-off sitting in Columbus who's not following the model of other principles mm -hmm. because there are over 200 of them. So once again, I just reflected on this. I left without knowing what I was going to do next. I knew what I wanted to do. I, I knew this relationship with business owners and, again, these people with complex financial lives, the intermingling of business and personal with legal and tax. Like, I knew it. So... Are there other firms maybe I could do it for? So I started exploring a lot of other firms, and there really wasn't, to my surprise. I mean, there are pieces and parts, and it's like, eh, that's not quite right. That's not quite right. Clearly wasn't, I didn't think, in Central Ohio. And then a couple of friends introduced me to now my partner, Trey Dye, in Windsor. Interestingly, I had another mentor who was telling me, look, you just need to start your own business because it's probably not out there. And it forced me to develop a business plan. And the significance of that is when Trey and I met and kind of talked, I kind of had pretty good thoughts of what the business should be. And I remember him saying, look, look, 95%. I thought he was giving me a grade. And he's like, no, I, I agree with 95% of what you got here. And that's kind of what we're doing. And I can see where you're going to help us go to another level. And that was in um, October of 2012 when he and I shook hands and off we went. And... Today, uh, Windsor's much larger. I, I think got a, a great team of people given, again, the importance of investing in talent. It's something we always do, we continue to do, but that's kind of where we are now. So what is the ideal business profile, ideal partner profile for you guys to work with at Windsor? I mean, the, the value adds that you guys provide seem very broad stroking. The positioning seems fairly broad stroking. So how does someone know when it's appropriate to engage with you guys? <laughs> Well, I meet a lot of people and, and honestly, over half the people I get referred to meet probably aren't a good fit, but I enjoy meeting with people and, and I always say, look, I'll meet anybody. I'll try to help. If they're not in our sweet spot and a good fit, I'm going to try to help direct them to somebody that is. Great story just happened, you know, in the last 12 months, somebody that about three years ago I was introduced to and I just said, not quite a fit. I mean, their, their life was too simple. Um, sold their business and just got a lot more complicated. Not just the amount of money, but now there's notes, there's warrants, there's taxes. All of a sudden, like, uh, now you're fit. Now he's client. So I must have handled it right about three years ago because he recalled and he's like, I was fine. It probably was the right call. But yet now he's a great fit. So I don't mean to be flip. It's people want to know, you know, kind of a black and white criteria. And it really isn't. I mean, it's part of it's, Again, financial complexity, you kind of know it when you see it. Honestly, um, this is our business. So we're going to choose uh, who we want to work with too. So there clearly could be somebody with the right fact pattern, but if I don't think I'd enjoy working with them, I'm not going to work with them. 
I mean, I just at a stage in life, I, I'm going to do this for a while, but I do it because I do find it fulfilling. And a lot of that fulfillment is just the quality of people that we work with. So I wish I could give you a better answer. But it's, <laughs> no, it makes sense. Um, and then maybe another one to dovetail off that. What, what makes the succession planning these situations that the clients that you're working with are going through so complicated? Emotion. Emotion. Because, again, the technical stuff we can figure out, but the emotion around, do I want a child to succeed me? The emotion around, you know, especially an entrepreneur, did they create this and um, what might this be? I, I had a client years ago, he, he just, we sit down to meet and he goes, look, I want to talk about succession. And I looked at him, I go, succession of management or ownership? And it felt like a 30 second pause. And he's like, it's different, isn't it? I go, yeah, it's different. Mm -hmm. You could still own this business. Doesn't mean you got to manage it every day. Doesn't mean you got to show up here at 730. You could hire a management team and own it because again he was and i see this often they they're tired maybe of managing the business but does that mean necessarily you no longer want to own the business but it really is emotional back to again their purpose like mm -hmm. oh this is my purpose these are my relationships and boy i i would lose that but yet they also know they've got a responsibility to themselves, their family, and really to the organization to have some kind of succession as well. Do you, this might be just for me, but do you ever run into people who realize that they might not be able to accomplish the full, let the business blossom to what it could be, the full potential of it? And then they, like what you're talking about, hiring a team or, you know, a piece of that, is that something, is that pretty rare? Is that something that you've experienced? I've definitely experienced it. You know, a great leader uh, to me makes himself almost irrelevant. Um, you'll hear good leaders say, you know, I, I want people around me that are smarter than yeah. me. Yeah, you see the spectrum, but I've definitely seen that and I believe in that. You know, one of the things about succession is for some reason, it seems like we have a lot of what are really second generation, you know, where maybe dad started something and it was kind of small, turned it over to son and it's like, this huge business. And there's a, sometimes a mindset of, well, then, you know, my son or daughter will follow me. And it's like, look, that what you're turning over today is multiple, exponentially more complex than what got turned over to you. Mm -hmm. The probability of the talent within your family of children to be able to do this is rare. Mm -hmm. And last thing you want to do is put a child in a place where they're not going to succeed. Yeah. You know, they're not equipped. Well, also the will, right? Like maybe the child doesn't even want to do it. Well, and yeah, and I sometimes you see a child who feels the expectation, but you sense they don't have the desire. They don't have the explosion of the internet too. A lot of companies that were successful obviously translated well to the internet. If you were able to market and produce a sustainable business without the internet, you translated to the internet really well. If you've if you've just because you've made a business online doesn't necessarily mean it'll translate. The opposite way so that growth potential and that like what felt easy you know like you said that it's a lot more complex and it may not have the the ability to grow and right. like you said your kids might not be able to do it you know a lot of people get put into positions because of their family and yep. you've seen a lot of examples of it not working out right now you might say well when does it work it works when you give it the time and effort that it deserves you educate you really go through the evaluation you just you know and it's hard for the person's like when am I going to do this? You know, I'm busy 12 hours a day, six days a week. And how do I devote time and energy to that? But the ones that have done multi-generation, et cetera, it's, it's often you'll find because they 
devoted time and effort and resources to really work through it and to try to get it right. But to think it'll happen just by circumstance or whatever, that's that's tough. Can. It's an interesting thought pattern though. Like <clears throat> I heard someone say the other day uh, that they, they weren't sure if they were going to give the business to their kid. And I kind of sat back and said like, why would you even consider not doing that? And then I started to think, you know, if you have this tranche of money and you look at your business as this money machine and you have multiple different channels you can shove your money into that are just different money machines that'll give different returns, it does start to become a little bit more clear. Like what do I can still create a very financially stable and exciting life for the people in my next generation. It doesn't have to be through this business. There's a lot of avenues out there, right? That you could mm-hmm. then uh, reallocate this capital to and, and supply them with that lifestyle. But I, I imagine that it comes down to a lot of variables having to line up at once. Like, do I have enough financial stability to where I'm okay making an exit right now? Like, there's got to be so many moving parts to make this com- that, that complex problem you're talking about. Yeah, without question. Um, you know, one of the biggest fears I see in my clients uh, with regards to their children is they don't want their financial success to ruin their children. Mm-hmm. They, they want their children to have the work ethic and desire that they have. And so a dynamic of how do you deal with this? And But yet, if you overprotect it, now you're not enabling the children to maybe have a rewarding life with the right amount of support. But again, those are, those are emotional issues. You can't put that stuff on an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, what is right? But again, if you recognize the challenge, you spend time around good values, you educate, you prepare, you just balance those things out as best they can. JME Hospitality, your hospitality design partner. JME Hospitality works with food service facility owners, operators, and development pros to improve the overall efficiency of customer experience and the profitability of customer operations. JME has been consulting in the hospitality operations space for over 45 years, providing solutions for schools and universities, healthcare institutions, hotels, resorts, and more. They also have extensive experience working within the design, construction, and manufacturing sectors. JME specializes in helping with a variety of different problems, including the COVID effect, redesigning the customer experience to protect their clients and the public during the pandemic. JME is passionate about serving the community you live in. They're doing this by supporting cancer research as well as youth outreach. And JME is offering a free consultation to all Conquering Columbus listeners. Just visit jmehospitality.com. That's jmehospitality.com. And mention the Conquering Columbus podcast to receive your free consultation. So something, I'm going to kind of take this in a completely different direction here, but something I'd be curious about is, you know, you mentioned that people are your most important asset and you guys were growing and it's something you really focus on. So when you're recruiting, what do you look for in your people? And maybe this is just more of the intangible side of things, you know, other than the experience in the areas you want to see. It is for me. I'm, I'm a believer in give me the best athlete. I don't care what sport they're from. You know, I used to say, maybe now I can't say this anymore, but 10 years ago, if I was starting a football team, my first pick would be LeBron James. Mm-hmm. I don't care that he didn't play football. I'll teach him that. For me, for for people, you know, I, I definitely need a pretty high technical skill set because we get into a lot of stuff. So you just, you got to have a lot of the gray matter there, but it takes a lot more than that. I, I actually think an analytical skill, which we view ourselves as problem solvers, you know, we kind of got a line, just figure it out. 
just figure it out. And again, we find ourselves down a lot of different things we've never had to figure out before, but we'll figure it out. But I, I think that comes from both an analytical skill set, but I also think empathy towards the people that we work with. We have somebody kind of new, pre-senior in our office, and he just said, the culture around here is unbelievable as far as the commitment to clients. And that's not by accident. That's got to be kind of the, the driver because I've seen analytical people, but they weren't driven towards getting it to where it, it helps and it solves. And the last thing for me has always been pride, that you just take pride in yourself, pride in everything you do, that that's really the motivator that causes you to just, just work hard, even when it's a grind, to get things done. So you're right, those are, I, I know I'm not giving you black and white answers of, oh, I got it, I can check these boxes, but I've just kind of always believed in those things. How do you qualify for something like empathy? in an interview process or you listen, you hear what motivates, why'd you do that? Yeah. I mean, look, I've interviewed uh, a lot of people and you never totally know you're, you're, you're looking for signs. At some point it's a leap of faith. You know, I tell people all the time when interviewing, I said, look, we actually are totally aligned. We're both trying to answer the exact same question. And that is, would you joining our team be rewarding for you? And would you be positive for us? In other words, is this a great fit for both of us? So I shouldn't be trying to sell you. I don't want you to try to sell me because it's not a good fit. Then it's not going to last. You're not going to be happy. We're not going to be happy. So let's just, we are so aligned in our interests. The more we dig into this, I'll share those criteria with them. So I'm, I'm looking for them to help me see, you know, what motivates them, what drives them. You look for their previous experiences and kind of dig it out that way. What about goals for the future, you personally or even the team and professionally? Personally, I, it's interesting. You know, when I went, when I uh, left KPMG, I made some personal goals and preparing for this, I quickly checked them. I'm like, yeah, you're still good. So for personally, for me, again, you can maybe figure this out. I want to continue to have relationships. I think that's important. It's really enjoyable. I want to continue to be engaged. I think my body will fall apart before my brain so I can see me being intellectually engaged for uh, a pretty long time. But taking care of myself is a bigger deal that, you know, when, when you're younger, I didn't have to. So just trying to live again, back to hap- happiness, right? So I start with health myself. So personally, it's, it's around a lot of those things as well as family, being both most importantly, a husband, a father, and even a son. For career, I want us to continue to do what we do. I think it's very unique, not only, again, in this market, but really in the country. I want us to be sustainable so that we're big enough to sustain beyond me. And again, my partner, Trey, and I talk about that and creating where people find it the same rewards that I do. And ultimately, that is the the people that we touch and how we help. And there is, a again, a, a figured out, there's a, a problem solver. It's kind of cool. It's like, we figured that out. I mean, we solved the problem. There's reward in that. I mean, there's games built around, you know, can you figure it out? And we kind of live that every day. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza I don't think so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hybeck. I mean, I go there all the yeah. time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's Man, what I was going to say. As soon oh. as we had them on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best 
We're talking about the restaurant, but High Bank's a lot more than just a restaurant. They distill whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently, and I really like this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine, and it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too. So yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which I joined. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee. And then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events right now. They're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far. That's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant, somewhere to watch the game. If you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I promise you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. Well, our last question of the show, John, is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And uh, without telling you too much about why we chose that one, what do you think of when you hear it? And how does it apply to your life and career? What I think about is just always challenging yourself, you know, growing up and seeing some uh, maybe senior partners in my firm. I never want to be the person that's gotten out of touch, that things have advanced. So I'm always trying to take on new things, do new things. In fact, I'm sitting here with you guys. I mean, I just, I always want to go the uncomfortable. I even say, you know, change creates an emotion and it's how you react to that. I think it's exhilarating. Hey, look at the career change that I made, you know, quite a number of years ago when people thought, why, why would you leave KPMG? You're 47 years old. You're at this unique spot. And I knew if I didn't do it about then, once you got into 50, mid fifties, now you're just hanging on. And I never wanted to be that person hanging on. Now in 2005, did I have moments of, oh boy, what did I do? Cause I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. Sure I did. But I think that's invigorating. And personally, I try to always challenge myself. You'll get a kick out of this by living uncomfortably. So I bought a motorcycle a couple of years ago. Hmm. What kind did you get? Got a BMW R1200. Nice. Yeah, it's nice. Great tour. I mean, I wanted something high quality. It's I'm, a big bike. It is a big bike, but I, not, not a 1600. Uh, I have a 350, so you're okay. four times the size of me. <laughs> well, so... You know, I, and I've never had a motorcycle. Now, as a little nice. kid, I had a mini bike, and I'd screw around in the field and stuff like that. And I can tell you how I got into this. But uh, I just thought, you know, I always wanted to. If I don't do it now, who knows? So I did it. I took a couple of classes. I'm going to take another class this year. In fact, just yesterday, so I'm always looking for rides. And I don't know if you guys know, the Ohio River comes from the uh, Indian word. I think it's O-E-O, which stands for beautiful river. And I was reading this motorcycle magazine, how this lady was riding the whole Ohio River. I'm like, what the heck? I'm going to do that. So yesterday I rode over 500 miles. Now the problem being in Columbus is first getting to the river, which took me over three hours if you get to the most northern part of the river. And then the cool thing about riding along any river, I mean, Big Darby Creek has got some neat rides because they're windy and they're hilly mm-hmm. and that, that's fun. So I did over 220 miles. I got to Gallipolis, which is where I wanted to get, and then I headed home. And then I'll do a second trip doing that. But a lot of that is the challenge. It's uncomfortable. But, you know, I could do what's easy and comfortable. I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for it. So I'm kind of always looking for that. I can't sit still. That's just not who I am. But that was a different thing for me. And, um, yeah, there were there's some 
oh shit moments, I guess I can say that, um, in writing, but trying to be smart, look ahead. It's amazing how intellectually engaged you are. So much more than when driving a car. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to me, it's embracing change as a positive thing and not a scary thing. And as, as I get older, I just never want to be that out of touch person. Awesome. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great talking with you and we really appreciate you coming on the show. I think I'll ride my motorcycle to San Diego. Seems like a good <laughs> be a, plan. Be a trip. <laughs> that would be quite the trip. But, uh, <laughs> and with that, everybody, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. That was John Easley, Senior Partner at Windsor Advisory Group. If you enjoyed that interview, you want to hear more just like it, go ahead, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening on. You will get interviews just like this every week. We release on Mondays, so keep an eye out for them. Appreciate all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks.